You're listening to audio from Calvary Gravenhurst in Muskoka, Ontario. For more resources or to connect with someone in the church, please visit calvarygravenhurst.com. Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers who are, who were, who will always be. Um, We're going to be talking about the Father today, as Alyssa pointed out, from Hebrews 12, 3 to 11, if you want to flip there. My name is Dustin, if you haven't met me yet. I'm one of the elders here. And yeah, we'll be looking at Hebrews 12, 3 to 11. And the title of the sermon is... The Good Discipline of the Good Father. Um, Of course, if you don't have a Bible, you don't own one at all, or you forgot to bring one, there should be one under your seat or somewhere in your row. You can just use that one. If you don't own one, please take this one home with you as our gift to you. And we think it's the best gift we can give uh, to anyone, because it has, in the Bible, tells us who God is, what He's done, who we are, what he requires of us, and what he has done in Christ to bring us to himself again. That's the most important things we can know. Um, let's pray before we dig in. Father, I just ask that you would father us this morning through your word, by your spirit, that you would teach wisdom to our inmost being, that you would lead us on your good path, that you would comfort the downcast, that you would warn the haughty, and that you would save sinners, all for Jesus' sake. And in his name we pray these things. Amen. So yeah, this Father's Day we're going to be looking at how God fathers us through Hebrews 12. And I'll make some applications, or a bunch, to uh, fathers, earthly fathers along the way. That way, I think it'll have something for mothers, it'll have something for grandpas, grandmas, it'll have something for everyone, because we're mostly thinking about the Father, God the Father. The main point that I'm trying to stress that I see in this passage is this, that discipline is the distinguishing mark of every loving father. Discipline is the distinguishing mark of every loving father. That's your first, if you're in the bulletin. That's your first fill in the blank if you're filling in blanks. So let's read the text. Hear now the goodness and high calling of fatherhood, starting in verse 3, Hebrews 12.3. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself so that you won't grow weary and give up. In struggling against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you've forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly or lose heart when you're reproved by him. For the the Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes every son he receives. Endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, which all receive, then you're illegitimate children, not sons. Furthermore, we had human fathers discipline us, and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, based on what seemed good to them. 
but he does it for our benefit so we can share in his holiness. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And as we read through that, you might be wondering, why did I include verses 3 and 4 in the reading? It doesn't seem to be talking about fathers, but it's to show you this, that the author and perfecter of our faith, Jesus, was fathered just like we are. He was fathered. His Father in heaven is our Father in heaven. When he rose from the dead and he was soon to ascend, he told Mary, he's like, go tell the disciples, I'm soon to go to your Father and my Father, your God and my God. The walk of faith is one in which we follow the footsteps of Jesus. He's the trailblazer. And the path is for one, or the ones, who are fathered. So we don't need to worry ourselves about so many things. There's so many burdens that we take on to ourselves that are really God's to carry. Because he's the father. It's our duty as sons and daughters to follow him. To submit to him. Just like our older brother Jesus did. And you see how much Jesus submitted to the Father in verses 3 and 4. See the depth of discipline Jesus had under the Father. He endured such hostility from sinners, it says, in his obedience to the Father. And it says he kept entrusting himself to the will of his Father, even to the point of shedding his blood. Even to death he obeyed. If you flip back to Hebrews 2, a couple pages back, Hebrews 2.10 so it's a very interesting phrase here, um, which applies to us as well. Hebrews 2.10. While you're flipping, I'll get a drink of water. For in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was entirely appropriate that God, forth whom and through whom all things exist, should make the source of their salvation perfect through sufferings. So Jesus is the source of salvation, and it says there that he was made perfect through sufferings. If you're awake this morning, you should be asking yourself, what on earth does that mean? I thought Jesus was perfect. How is he made perfect? Through sufferings. Well, if we were to look at the word used for sufferings in the original language that the New Testament was written in, which is Greek, here's the definition you would find there. It means to make complete, to make perfect, sorry, to complete, To carry through completely. So if you think of Jesus' life, or our life, like a race, the trail was called suffering. That was the track. And the finish line was called perfected. So it's not talking about anything in Jesus that was lacking, or deficient, or needed to be improved, but rather, Jesus walked along the path of suffering and discipline, and when he said on the cross, it is finished, it truly was. Like he had crossed the finish line. He had completed the work. He had carried it through completely. There's nothing left to do. And we walk the same path as him. It's the path of the Father's discipline. It involves training through various trials, sufferings, opposition. And it often enough involves um, the Father's correction as we stray from the path and he lovingly brings us back because it's the path of life. Um, let's define discipline. That would be good, I think, at the very start here. Because when I say discipline, I wonder what you're thinking. Lots of people, when they hear discipline, discipline, they think corrective or a spank or something like that. 
we might be thinking of a punishment. And that's actually the lesser side, I'd say, of discipline. It's called corrective discipline. In our spiritual and our physical lives, it is employed often in the early years, in the immature years, the corrective discipline. But the greater load of discipline over the larger course of our formative years is called exactly that, formative discipline. So we have corrective discipline, formative discipline, this is discipline. This is what I'm talking about. This is your second fill-in-the-blank if you're filling in the blanks. I'm going to read it twice. It's the definition of discipline that I found when I was studying, and I really liked it. It's a lot of words, but if you think on it, it's very, it's all-encompassing. So here we go. The whole training and education of children, which relates to mind and morals and employs for this purpose, now commands and admonitions, now reproof, and punishment. It also includes the training and care of the body. I'll read it one more time. The whole training and education of children. And this is physical children or spiritual children. The whole training and education of children. Which relates to mind and morals and employs for this purpose now commands and admonitions, now reproof and punishment. And it also includes the training and care of the body. So what is discipline? It's parenting. That's what it is. More specifically to our text today, it's fatherhood. It's the formation of a human being. It's the training and educating of bodies and souls and characters. It's true love. As you lay down your life for the good of another. You set aside your wants, your desires your hobbies, whatever it is you need to set aside, however it is you need to lay down your life, to leverage as much time and as much attention as you can for this vital work. This is the case for heavenly fatherhood and earthly fatherhood. That is why whole life discipline, like thinking of it, uh, it's not like, okay, we're doing discipline now because I'm teaching you the Bible. It's like whole life, all the time discipline is the mark of every loving father because it's the giving of your life for the life of another. Discipline is not some side job you can just throw into your life. It's all of life. It is, it's just like the whole all-encompassing part of life. You can't just like, you know, do it from the couch. You have to do it from your knees, a position of prayer dependence on God, you're spending yourself for the good of another. A father who disciplines is like a snowplow blade. You think of it, the snowplows are clearing the way, making it safe for the people behind. And that's what you're doing for your children. You're clearing a way for them. You're making a path for them to follow. And as you do that, you're going to get worn down, being ground into the ground like that. This is the role of a father. And I know both a father and mother are at work in discipline, both of them. It is a teamwork, this forming of children. But the father is ultimately responsible for the work. You see that in Ephesians 6, 4, where it instructs and it commands fathers. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I know mothers do so much, so much. Especially in my case with cat homeschooling, She's doing it all day long. I'm at work. Like, she does practically way more of it than I do. But it's supposed to be under my leadership, my guidance, 
Families are to mirror the Trinity here because it's the Heavenly Father's work. He's the Father. It's his discipline. He's orchestrating it. He's responsible for it. Even as it's true that he very often and in many ways is employing the Son to work it and the Spirit to work it. But ultimately it's on him, just like it's on earthly fathers. And as you're doing this this work, this vital work, you have to realize, fathers, that those cute, interesting, funny little characters that God has given you are also vipers and diapers, and they need to be trained. They need to be formed into something that honors God. They don't come out of the womb like that. They need to be formed into something that submits to God, something that tells the truth like God, something that repents to God and has faith in him. You can't save their souls. I am definitely not saying that. We all need to realize that. You cannot save their souls no matter how good a job you do. That's God's fatherly work. But Godward is where we have to point them. You're going to be pointing them somewhere. Godward is where we have to point them. And so fathers, just as the Heavenly Father teaches his children discipline, we discipline our children on behalf of the Father. The Father even is using earthly fathers in this work along with the Son and the Spirit. It's amazing. The Father commands obedience of his children, so earthly fathers, we must require obedience of our children. I'll move on to the next heading, that discipline is the mark of sonship. Discipline is the mark of sonship. But isn't it true that when the Father allows some formative discipline in our lives in the shape of like uh, a trial, a suffering, some mistreatment, something like that, we're apt to think something's got to be wrong. Like we might ask in our hearts, God, why are you allowing me to go through this? Why are you letting me suffer like this, God? What have I done? Don't you love me anymore? We're dismayed. We feel cast off and abandoned. And if it goes on for long enough, we might even become uh, to feel cursed. We're dismayed but when, in fact, we should be comforted. And the text points out our immaturity here when it says in verse 7, it says, God is dealing with you as sons, with sons and, dealing with you as sons and daughters, as his true children, when we're disciplined. So, actually, what a comfort What a recalibration. God's not treating you as an enemy when he puts your faith to the test, but as a dearly loved and invested in child. The fact that he has preordained and specific to you trials for you to walk through is his pedigree of love. It's the quality of his love. It's specific to you. The fact that he has you on the same suffering path as Jesus, that should comfort us. We're we're walking the right path then. Really, actually, the text informs us that if it's all easy and smooth and effortless, then that's really when we should start wondering if we really belong to him. And I think the absence of discipline in our society generally is is a curse that fathers have passed on to the children of this day. And vilifying training and discipline is why most of the mainstream Parenting advice is such garbage. Because they, they teach things like the child knows what they need best. They already know. Um, let them explore and learn for themselves. Like you don't need to, you don't need to teach them anything. And, and definitely don't make them do anything because then you're infringing on their rights. You should be more like a peer than an authority. It's horrible. 
And it leaves children feeling unloved, worthless, and illegitimate. I recently read an account of a teenage girl who uh, like dressed really provocatively. She was acting out in many ways. She said she was just trying to get her dad's attention. Just trying to see if he loved her enough to correct her, to train her, to rescue her. The story concluded, sadly, with her being abused and becoming pregnant, which was devastating. What was more devastating was her dad's response. He said, boys will be boys. And that final rejection by her dad made her want to end her life because she felt utterly illegitimate and unloved. And so this morning, fathers, I charge you, I'm charging you in the presence of God to train and discipline your children. Let them know they are yours by your investment and your dedication to their formation. Don't leave any room for them to wonder about this. I hope this passage could also change collectively our minds or our perspectives on the events of the world in the last year and a half. God knew that endless comfort and ease in the sinful world is not good for us. It's not good, and it wouldn't produce the character and the faith that the children of God should possess. So, even as he's judging the world for their rejection of him by this pandemic thing, he's using it at the same time to grow his children, to test our faith, to deepen our roots. He knows how to save the righteous and hold the wicked for the day of destruction. Both things are happening at the same time, and God is treating us as sons. A verse that's always put me on edge is uh, 2 Timothy 3.12. It says this. It says, In fact, all who want to live a godly life in Jesus Christ will be persecuted. Well, I definitely want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, but where's the persecution, I would always wonder. Where's the stamp of authenticity on my faith? Where's the formative discipline of persecution? Maybe I'm not really godly. Maybe I don't represent Christ well. As Pastor Ben has said, people either really loved or really hated Jesus. It should be the same with us. It should be obvious who we belong to, who we're representing. And I'm not like praising the awesomeness of persecution. It's hard and horrible in whatever form it comes in. It is horrible. But, even so, it should comfort us that we really belong to the Father. And the world knows we really don't belong to them. And I think, though, in the coming days, we and our children are being ushered into uh, an era in Western culture where we'll quite easily attain the mark of persecution and sonship if we just open our mouths in a few key areas, the hot-button topics of the day, like family, like sexuality, like sanctity of life, like real biblical justice, like God as the creator of all. If we just open our mouths at your schools, at your jobs, mom's groups, coffee times, grocery store, you just represent Jesus in those areas, you will pretty quickly, I bet, receive the stamp of sonship in persecution. And as we do that, we need to remember back at verse 3, consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself so, you won't, so that you won't grow weary and give up. Whatever we get, he got way more, and he still pushed through. So, family of God, 
Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. God's treating you as sons and daughters, not as cast-offs, not as garbage. He is eternally committed to your actual good. So cling to Jesus. Trust in the parenting of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Believe that they actually know how to rear children. And believe his promise. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Let's look now at how um, a father who disciplines earns respect. And the father of discipline gives life. So moving on to verse 9. In verse 9 it says, Furthermore, we had human fathers discipline us. And we respected them. I definitely respect my dad for the training and correction and formation that he worked in my life. And I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that I was his legitimate child because of his investment in me. And as a man and a father now, like I, looking back, I hugely respect him. He put me on a level that, I, looking back, I feel like pretty much none of my peers were able to receive because of the intentional and Bible-saturated discipline I received. He formed me. He's, he molded me. He spent his life on me. He shaped me into the image of Jesus. And he called out to me, follow me as I follow Christ. Were there mistakes? For sure. Was I angry with him sometimes? Yeah, definitely. But also looking back, that's mostly my sin and stupid acting there. So <laughs> that's mostly my fault. But overall, the word to describe it is the word that's in the text. Respect. Respect. Respect should be the outcome if a father is actively trying to discipline his children. This should be true in every home represented by this church family, and it should be true in the church family. So, fathers, we, we need to discipline our children. We must. Children, children, you are told in the fourth commandment to honor your father and mother, and in Ephesians 6.1 to obey them. That's your God-given duty, even if your father isn't disciplining you. But if he is disciplining you, if he is forming you, then the natural response should be respect. If he's leading you in the ways of God, teaching you the Bible, uh, teaching you how to think and reason, if he's teaching you how to take care of your body, how to wash, brush your teeth, wear deodorant, all those things. If he's teaching you how to interact with other human beings and how to talk. All the, like so many things. If he's working and he's spending his life on you, then the natural response should be respect. Don't go along with peers or the crowd or the attitude of this world that would lead you to disrespect your father. It's foolish. It's, it's wrong. And you'd just be harming yourself ultimately. So if your dad's giving it his best effort, his, if he's really working for it, then worship God by respecting your father. And church family, respect those in your life who are like spiritual fathers. Is there somebody in your life that's trying to train you in godliness? Are there men who are, who are teaching you the disciplines of grace? Who is trying to lead you by example? Who is imploring you to go further up and further in? Who's teaching you a hatred for sin and a love for God? Well, respect them. God gave men like that as a gift to the church for the building up of the body. So don't make it a burden for them. Make it a joy and show some respect. 
But even the, like the text says it, even the best earthly father is a dim reflection of the heavenly father. It says, they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he, God, disciplines us for our good that we might share in his holiness and live. Even the best father can see only so far, and he can be wrong. But our heavenly father sees everything. He knows the end from the beginning, and he doesn't make errors. So purpose to subject yourself to to his discipline. Don't, don't fight against it or buck against it because you won't win and it makes no sense. Subject yourself to the Father of your spirit and live. And I would say hold Romans 8.28 along with what we're thinking of this morning. Hold Romans 8.28 in your mind as an all-encompassing rock-solid hope as you submit to the Father's discipline. Do you, do you know Romans 8.28? It's a pretty famous verse. I'll read it in a second. If you don't know it, you should know it. Have you memorized Romans 8.28? If you haven't memorized it, after this service, that's your first mission. Memorize Romans 8.28 because all of life funnels through that one verse. All of it. It says this, Romans 8.28. We know, not we hope, we presume, we wonder. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God. All things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. And the good and the purpose in this verse is to make you conform to the image of Christ. That's where he's headed. That's his goal. That's your best good, to be like Jesus. And the all things is truly that. All things. It's actually everything. The good, the bad, the ugly. All things. Uh, Your wife, your husband, your children, your kids. Your job, your siblings, your trials, your joys, your successes, your failures, angels, demons, having plenty, being in want, all things. Your whole life is orchestrated by God for your good. World events are actually for your good. Nations that are raised up and thrown down, it's for your good. The sun rising in the morning, your heart beating, it's for your good. From the most horrific experience to the most blissful one. The Father is working all things together for your good. What are the prerequisites? That you love God and you're called according to his purpose. Or if you put it in words of Hebrews 12, that he's your father, basically. If he's your father. So put this together, Romans 8.28 with Hebrews 12, the discipline of the Father. What, we, what do we find? The father of your spirit is working all things together for your good through discipline. He wants you to live and share in his holiness. He wants you to be conformed to the image of his son. And remember, from the beginning, I am arguing that discipline is the distinguishing mark of every loving father Because it involves investment and commitment. So just investment and commitment. Think of this in God's perspective from how invested and committed God is. Okay, The heavenly loving father is so committed and so passionate about perfecting his discipline in you that he is wielding an entire universe and all the goings on in that universe for your good. And I've already implored uh, fathers... 
to leverage as much time and attention as you can in your disciplining of your children. But the father has leveraged like everything, everything in the discipline of his children. He has given his one and only son. He has sent his all-powerful spirit. And he uses the whole created realm like a craftsman's chisel to form you into the image of his son through discipline. That's amazing. That's not just like, oh, I'm going to church, say my prayers before bed anymore. Like, that's huge. All of your life, God is like wielding it to make you like his son. Every single part. There's no back burner days that you're living. Every day has total purpose. So, my brothers and sisters, don't take the Lord's discipline lightly. Don't count it a small thing. It's, it's marvelous. It's enormous. And moving to our last point, our last heading, discipline is painful. You need to remember the immensity of discipline. Because it is painful. Anybody who's disciplined goes through pain. Like, a spank on the bum's painful. But becoming a podium finisher in every sport, that's a different sort of pain. Conquering character deficiencies is painful. Crucifying our flesh is painful. Endurance is painful. Growing is painful. Emotional anguish is painful. Changing is painful. Trials are painful. Persecution is painful. The hostility of sinners is painful. And dying on a cross for the sins of a multitude, that's really painful. It's painful. Discipline's painful. And I think we can only endure the pain of discipline if we remember the vastness of it, how God is wielding everything to perform it, and the glorious finish line of it. There's a finish line. What God is perfecting, someday you'll cross that line, and you won't be disciplined anymore. You'll be perfected. This is the only way we could obey James's charge at the beginning of his epistle when he says, count it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Like, how on earth can you count depression or sickness or child loss or the loss of a spouse or mistreatment or hard marriages or whatever else? How can you possibly see that as joyful unless you see through it to what God is going to perfect and around it to see how he is directing it. If you only look at the trial, you get your eyes only on the trial, you'll eventually become, you'll be overcome. Because you'll start to see no purpose in it and no love of God by it. Jesus has again given us the example. It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So he looked through the pain of the cross, through the pain, through the trial, to the joy that would be his on the other side. And if you're going through pain, you're going through hard discipline, that's what you need to do too. This is where we need to set our thoughts. There's an awesome picture of this in John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. Don't know if you know that book. And I'd say next to the Bible, it's like the most important book in the world. <laughs> it's, it's awesome. But it's hard to read, so get an abridged version if you're going to read it, because it's written in the 1600s. So here's a, a story that ha- or a part that happens in the story. When the main character, Christian... He gets to the home of the interpreter, and at the home of the interpreter, he's given a bunch of visions to help him on his journey to the celestial city, which is heaven. In one of these visions, he has shown two little boys. One's named Passion, one's named Patience. 
passion because he makes all of his decisions based on his like temporal passions, what he wants right now. He chooses to have his good things now. He's well-fed, he's well-liked, and he lives at relative ease during his time on earth. Whereas patience looks ahead, and he's willing to put up with discomfort now, and pain now, and get his good things later. Passion, of course, mocks patience, and tells him how stupid he is to embrace suffering for a kingdom that he can't even see. But, soon enough, passion has spent all that he received on this earth, and he's left with rags forever. At that time, patience receives his reward, and he's blessed and rich forever. And that's basically what we're talking about this morning. That's the Christian life. It's seeing with the eyes of faith toward a kingdom that is to come, toward riches that will endure through pain to the prize. That's the deal. So you could have your best things now. You could have your best life now. You could live for all the things of this world now and go to hell at the end of it. Or you can have discipline now, pain now, discomfort now, and go to heaven at the end of it if your faith is in Christ. You need to realize that you're not living the best parts of your Christian life now. This isn't the best part of your Christian life here on earth. The best parts are when you cross that threshold. Either at your death or when Jesus comes back into your glorious inheritance. The best parts are across the finish line of discipline. When God will have perfected in you all his formative work, making you like the very Son of God. So wrapping up, it's for discipline that we must endure. And it is for life, holiness, peace, and righteousness that we are disciplined. God's treating us as dearly loved children. Don't regard this lightly. Discipline is our, our seal of sonship. God has claimed you as his own if you partake in discipline. And so, brothers and sisters, rejoice in the discipline of the eternally loving Father. And happy Father's Day. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon audio. For more resources or to connect with us, visit calvarygravenhurst.com.